0: Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and... Lawson! Lawson, how are you this morning? I'm wet. You're Yes. I am drenched. Well, this is how, this is how life is these days. It is like... It everybody is, is, is raining kind of so hard. Just
1: damp all the time. It is like... I I don't think it's rained this hard this year. I think this is the the most force that's come out of the sky here in Newcastle.
0: Oh, okay. We've had more force um, out at Western, but it's definitely up there out there.
1: I don't know. Driving into work this morning, it was like I was like, "This is." This so, what what are you thankful gnarly. for? Tell us. Tell us. What oh, you're oh, okay, for. okay. What am I? What am I thankful for? Um, that. Uh, so I'm wet, but I'm not drenched. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm sitting here in the studio. I, I'm doing well. I'm excited to, to speak, to do the show, obviously. And um, as I look at our monitor right here, I can see that most of you guys are online and can hear us. So that is definitely a blessing. Like, Yes, you-
0: that number is climbing. We had a very low number there a minute ago of transmitters that were actually up and working, mm-hmm. probably due to the... Uh, environmental conditions that we find ourselves in here on the East Coast, um, where it seems to, well, it doesn't seem to really stop raining for more than a day or two here and there all summer.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So yeah, we're blessed to be able to reach you guys. Well, what are you grateful for this morning, Will?
0: Oh, let me see. I'm grateful that I have a shed to work in. It's kind of really relevant right now Mm -hmm. um, because it's going to keep me dry this afternoon while I get some things done. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Uh, Here on The Breakfast Show this morning, as we get started, we're about to have positively different news, so get ready for that. But before we have positively different news, we have the first question for our quiz. This is the 100-pointer. This will be the easy one. We let you off lightly,
1: so have a crack at it. All right, for 100 points, what was Matthew's job before joining the disciples? 669 is the number to call if you know the answer. For one hundred points, you can win yourself a Faith FM bookmark and bumper sticker, or you can work your way through the quiz. If you answer every single question correctly, you can win every single every single prize. So you can either claim one prize from a question that you answer correctly, or you can answer every question correctly. Get every single price, but again, that question was: What was Matthew's job before joining the disciples? 669. one zero six four six six nine. All
0: right, let's have some positively different news this morning.
1: Okay, I've got a fantastic story coming out of women's sport, which is which is an area that we're kind of like, yeah, we've had a lot of really negative stories, really negative stories, and obviously not
0: because women's sport has become. A place for men to take over, and it's it's not
1: women's fault. Like it's yeah. What what are they going to do about it? I just want to hear fantastic women's sports stories. Let's do that. And we have one today. Fantastic! uh, A lawyer from London has just set a new world record for the fastest female solo row. Get this, across the Atlantic. Oh wow! Like the ocean.
0: Across the Atlantic. From, that's like the worst. Uh, that's like from, the worst ocean
1: in the world. From the Canary crossing. Islands to Barbados.
0: That's that's a decent. That's so a decent effort. That's, so a, that's,
1: a, that's quite the stench. She had a a twenty two foot long uh, rowing boat. You know, yes. rowboat. Yes. Um, it's an interesting looking thing. It's like this, uh, it almost looks like a sailboat, but it's like, it's it's just super hyper, the high tech, you can sleep in it and stuff. But essentially, um, she broke the record by nine days. So she rode <laughs> <That's> two, a- <laughs> 2, 2,559 nautical miles in 40 days and 19 hours. That's an epic achievement which by is anyone's standard.
0: Amazing. Okay, so she's broken the record by nine days. That's the male and female record, I'm thinking. it's just the record. It's the female record. Yes. What's the do we know what the male record um, is? How close you got to the male record? I'm not sure. Because I'm thinking you break a record by nine days, you're probably going to
1: be the record holder. She well this yeah, so this is like the, the female record. I I will get back to you on what the, the male record is, but I'm a sit. Well, she she's the best. She's the best female like long distance rower in the world at rowing across uh, the Atlantic Ocean. And another thing too. So so she's a lawyer from London. Her name is Victoria Evans. Um, obviously, this is this is amazing. She did. It was all, an awesome charity event as well, um, raising. She actually supporting a UK charity to to fund and help women's sport, uh, which is something that women's sports definitely need at the moment is funding and help. Uh, but also at the t- same time this was remember uh last week in our bible study when we were talking about the book of hebrews we're talking about you know running the race with endurance and i gave the example the example of Eliud kipchoge who's like the fastest ever marathon runner and he like did a sub two hour marathon like so that's running 42 kilometers in under two hours and yet he's like 37 years old which yes. is like yes. just crazy but ultimately this is proving true like the 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 um what we're seeing in endurance sports where it's like the older you get obviously there's like a point where that starts to decline but the older you get the the better you are to you the better you are mentally equipped to actually yes. endure this woman's like 35 years old and she's the record holder
0: it's just amazing.
1: and i could imagine like rowing across the atlantic is probably like a big milestone thing in the rowing world like it's a it's you know like swimming across the English Channel that kind of it's, thing. It's massive, but it's like yeah, it's like two and a half thousand miles rowing. Okay,
0: so the first, the fastest time across the Atlantic by rowing uh, took thirty-three days, seven hours, and thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a fourteen-man crew.
1: Okay, so you this know is... you, you
0: live you live on the support ship, uh-huh. and get in and row for a few hours. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, yeah. Where she she did this by her by herself. Wait, unsupported. Because she's got like a sleeping. Yes. So she's only seven days behind, and she's like taking naps. Yes. Dude, this lady is killing it. She's <laughs> like, you are not. She's she, this you are is not the one. Me. Oh, what a good job. Um, all right. Let's have a look at some other news here. Um, so, we recently had CES. And I'll, I'll probably be covering a few things that came out of CES because it's like one of the biggest um, technology conventions that happens in the world. And all these all these new brands start like, uh Yeah. Talking about their, their their big technological innovations. One of those people was John Deere. And John Deere has just debuted the self driving tractor. Yes. So it's a tractor that drives itself. That's cool. So so basically But it's not
0: fun. I love driving tractors. Driving tractors is one of my favorite things to do. Really? And if you've got self-driving tractors, then I don't get to drive tractors anymore.
1: No, but that was saying, like, the application for this is, like, you have one... Say you have, like, two paddocks. You mm-hmm. have, like, one self-driving tractor, which you can just, like, kind of let go. And then say you have, you know, a paddock that's, like, a little bit, you know, difficult, needs special attention, and then you get your own tractor in there, you know. That's but but cool. it's just, like, it's just... If you're, like, a, a farmer, it gives you the ability to plough more land and, and harvest and whatnot from more land in a lower amount of time. Because you just get one of your self-driving tractors going. Uh, but they're calling it the the John Deere 8R autonomous tractor, and it like you know has series of GPSs and cameras and whatnot. And how many horsepower? Ah, uh, I don't know. How many horsepower do tractors have? Like, like. F- 400 and then like 2,000 new meters of torque or something stupid. Yeah,
0: that'd be reasonable
1: for a John Deere, 450 horsepower yeah. John Deere. Yeah, yeah. so it's like, it's like a legit, it's, it's like a, a legit- regular like top of the line tractor. Yeah, okay. But it can drive itself. Yeah. It's not just a little orchard tractor. Yeah, that's right. This, this brought is acre, like a, one right. of those big old green ones that have, you know, things hanging off the back. It's, it's a, like, j- it's a John Deere. Like deer. every John Deere. Big <laughs> old <laughs> green tractor. That's how you describe the John Deere. That's right. But this actually reminded me. So growing up, um, I lived, uh, on like a four acre block of land and, and we were kind of, you know, in... We had these blocks going along and just, like, fences between them. It was, like, four acres, but it was, like, kind of long and skinny. And two doors down from me was my neighbour. And I think his name was Greg. I-, I forget. But he was, like, a part of the team that invented the CNC laser. Oh, cool. So, he's, like, the, you know, CNC laser it's like, the automatic laser. You put, like, the sketch mm-hmm. in or whatever, and then it, like, cuts it out of a piece of metal. So, he was, like... A massive nerd, which is cool. Like he's yeah, just yeah, like yeah, a super awesome. smart, nerdy guy, but also he was very wealthy <laughs> because yep. CNC, like that, 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 like that, that that's makes sense. He's a part of the team who like invented it and patented it and everything. So he like, you know, had money and stuff. Uh, and he would just make all sorts of things and he had a remote control lawnmower.
0: <laughs> so, yes. so, this is back when you were a kid, right? This was
1: like when I was a child, and uh-huh. and like he like, and it was a regular lawnmower. Like I don't remember which brand it is one of the one of your old lawnmower brands. And then he had created like a remote control system that like. S- he Steered the wheels and like activated the, the accelerator and, and everything. And he, so he
0: just sit up on his front porch with his, remote yeah. And, mow and the just lawn.
1: drive, it just remote control drive his lawn. It was like the coolest thing ever. And he had this car And too, that would and be awesomely fun. He was like, such my a, lawn would be mowed so regularly. That's right. Yeah. Yo, Cause you get to just drive it with the thing. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. and, and he had it. He, his, the lawn I think he like soaked it up as well. Cause it was quick. He could get it going, like, really fast. I think because there's no one sitting on it as well. And, like, lawnmowers aren't that powerful. And he would just have the thing, like, a wizard like, just... But then when he was, like, mowing the lawn, he would, you know, go slow. And and then he built another one. And then him and his friends would race the lawnmowers in their front yard. And we would sit around and watch. It was really funny.
0: The last time I... The only... Well, no, the last time I saw a a radio-controlled lawnmower, Mm because I've seen a few of the... Um, self-driving lawnmowers around the place, mm. but the last time I saw a radio-controlled one, it was a flying one.
1: Oh, it was a you flying yes. radio-controlled lawn mower. Never
0: seen a flying radio-controlled lawnmower. Oh, I saw a flying radio-controlled lawnmower when I was like ten years old.
1: What purpose? Show. Uh, what purpose does a flying remote-controlled lawnmower have? Fun. But but does it mow the lawn if it's no, flying? No, it flies around in the sky. But it, like an aeroplane. What, it looks like a lawnmower? It is a lawnmower. That someone's turned you into need a plane. To,
0: you need to YouTube this.
1: You uh, need to be okay. educated <laughs> on <around> flying lawnmowers. <laughs> yeah. they, are, they,
0: are, they are the best fun ever. I mean, why would you have a flying remote radio-controlled aeroplane when you can fly a lawnmower?
1: So it's not supposed to lo- mow lawns. Well, it used to mow lawns <laughs> but, but, but now, now it flies, flies. now it uh, flies okay okay fair enough fair enough but hey if you guys want a John Deere self-driving tractor that's only $500,000 actually give us a call at Faith FM give it to me <laughs> and then we'll, we'll hook you up with a tractor you're listening to the Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM
0: positively different we're about to have the 200 point
1: question for our quiz alright for 200 points who dreamed that the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to him? Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine 064 669 is the number to call if you know the answer. 200 points, you can win yourself an issue of Signs Magazine, or you can get your points on the board, continue to work your way through the quiz. But again, that question was, who dreamed that the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to him? Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine.
0: Okay, so moving to more serious news, we've got to talk about violence this morning because it's all in the news. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's often been said that uh, good, sane, sober, moral people use words, mm-hmm. not violence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those, those are words really to, to live by. And, you know, I think of uh, a couple of years ago where we had uh, Gina Carano, um, who chose to use words mm-hmm. rather than violence. Um, of course, she was uh, a, a major actress in, uh, in, with, with Disney um, um, on The Mandalorian and she, she spoke out during the BLM riots and this is what she said. She said, when we look at Auschwitz, we see the end of the process. It's important to remember that the Holocaust actually did not start from gas chambers. This hatred gradually gradually developed from words and stereotypes and prejudice through legal exclusion, dehumanisation and escalating violence. Mm. And so she spoke out against violence and as a result of this tweet um, and, you know, Her stand on these particular issues, she was sacked from Disney and basically banned from ever having any kind of future in Hollywood ever again. Wow. We saw the contrast to this last night, um, and of course it's all over the news this morning, where we have major actor Will Smith who chose to use violence rather than words and physically uh, uh, assaulted Chris Rock on the stage in front of the world and then has since refused to
1: apologize. That to Chris Ross. So gnarly. <laughs> I was like, dude, uh like obviously like for everyone when it happened it was kinda of everywhere in, in terms of like social media and stuff. But I'm it's shocking. Okay, what's what's even more shocking
0: is the response to this because mm. I mean, okay, let me ask you this question. You do this in a pub, what happens? You get
1: kicked out, right? You get beat up. And you, then yeah, kicked out. You get beat up and then
0: kicked out. The bouncer's going to come in and they're like, no, you can't be uh, physically assaulting people mm. in this environment. And that's just a pub. This is not the Oscars. It's not in public. It's not presented to the world. It's in a pub. You, you get kicked out for that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, what did uh, Will Smith get? A standing ovation followed by – no, an Oscar followed by a standing <laughs> ovation. Yeah. After which he used the words that uh, he stated that uh, that love – Uh, was what made him do it, which is the words of every abuser just about ever that has ever lived. Not everyone, but most of them.
1: Yeah. Love made me do it. And there's, again, you bring up, like, the pub scenario. Dude, there's a 1,001 dudes in the pub, like, punching on with people because they feel like some guy went after their girl Slided or whatever. Their girl. Yeah, yes. something like that and then they're going to start a fight and like this is this is just a one bad behavior.
0: Now, I will say this, there is a time and a place for husbands and boyfriends to step in and to defend mm-hmm. their girl. Oh, 100%. We absolutely support that. Mm-hmm. But when your girl is being attacked by words, you respond with words. Will Smith had all kinds of options available to Mm. him. He's got his Twitter feed, which is massive. He could have responded there and called out Chris Rock for inappropriate jokes. We would have supported that. He could have even stood up right there on the spot and made an impromptu speech about inappropriate jokes. He could have done it after he he won the Oscar. (laughs) He could have walked out. He could have done it during his Oscar speech. I guess he didn't know at that time whether he was going to have an Oscar speech or not, Uh but he certainly had a Platform. Once he did, mm-hmm. he had an opportunity to speak about people who, you know, he felt the joke was unsavoury. I mean, this the joke. If in case you missed it, I don't think anybody's probably missed it by now. But the joke was a roast. Yeah, uh, and
1: it was and a it roast. Was a pretty light one at that.
0: It was a. It was well. It depends on your
1: perspective and
0: who you are and where sure. you're coming
1: from. Sure, uh, fair enough.
0: But yeah. it was a roast on um, on his wife who has uh, what's, the, what's the name of this uh, disease here? Alopecia. Um, which, by the way, Donald Trump has as well. Mm-hmm. How, many, how many times have we roasted him for being the world's most powerful or crazy comb-over? Um, but anyway, be that as it may, uh, what I find disturbing is that he was not removed from the premises. Mm-hmm. He did go on to get an award. He did receive a standing ovation. And then he likened himself to Richard Williams. Mm. As the crazy father who stands up to defend his, his, his that girls. That was, that was actually Out.
1: so cringe.
0: I... If you were Richard Williams, <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not a violent person. Yeah. He's, a, he's a passionate person and he passionately uses words on a regular basis to defend his girls. Uh huh. But this is what I come back to. Human beings use words, uh-huh. not violence. Yeah, that's right. There's no excuse ever for violence, and this speaks to the world in which we live. And we need to be holding our celebrities to a much higher standard than this. We have one celebrity who speaks out against violence and gets drummed out of the the uh, the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. We have another who actually perpetrates violence mm-hmm. in front of the world, gets a standing ovation for it, mm-hmm. and an Oscar, and followed by an Oscar. How e- how easy would it have been to just you know pull that name out of that envelope, write the the runner-up's name in there, slide it in there, and hand it to somebody else. Mm. No one would have known the difference. Mm. No, this is this is scary stuff that we are seeing in our world right now. Um, and yeah, we can we can all have our opinions on on the roast whether it was appropriate or not appropriate. Um, but that is beside the point. There is never an excuse for um, for violence. Totally, and that
1: yet. Yeah. That part where he then compared himself to King Richard. Like, the guy who he's portraying in the movie that he's winning the Oh, other, oh it was cringe. It's like, who wants I to was, the movie? I was like, that? come on. Like, like, oh, yeah, it made me just, do it because of this example that I have of this guy that I was acting like. I'm like, bro. He didn't just destroy himself How is that on an TV? excuse for
0: your behavior? He destroyed his
1: movie as well. Yeah. He,
0: just, he he I'm like, this, yeah. It's one of the cringiest things I have ever <laughs> seen. And- Yikes. But anyway, moving from now, I've got a positively different story. Hey, let's go. Um, so Charlie Kirk, he's a right-wing activist in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, he started uh, what was called Turning Point USA when he was 18 years old, and 10 years later. He now is uh, has Turning Point USA, Turning Point Action, Turning Point Faith, uh, Turning Point Endowment. And a member of the Council for National Policy. He's written three books. So, quite an accomplished 28 year old. Mm. Recently married to uh, Erica Franz V, uh, who is a podcaster and businesswoman from Arizona. Um, so, basically, he's one of the most high profile uh, right wing act- activists in the United States. Um, his organization is worth more than $40 million. That's not a bad effort for 10 years' work. Yep. Um, half of that, of course, goes to charitable projects. And he's just put out a half-hour podcast he and his wife to get together to talk about, you know, just share their their their, their story, what's been happening for the last uh, 12 months, and just sort of have a bit of a chat about what they're doing. And in the middle of that podcast, he comes out to say that, well, in the last year, uh, she, uh, Erica runs a program called Bible 365. They've mm-hmm. been reading and studying the Bible together, and they discovered the Sabbath. Oh wow. And so they like well here's the Sabbath. Let's do this. Uh huh. And so come Friday evening before sunset, uh Charlie turns his phone off and puts it in a drawer. Dude, that's amazing. That's that's more Sabbath keeping than I do. I leave my phone well I kind of Leave it on because I'm usually organizing a bunch of things for church yeah, that, on Yeah, that, That's right. <laughs> but uh turns it off, puts in a drawer and then does restorative activities like, you know, going for a walk, taking a break, having Dude, a rest. I want to
1: hang out with this guy. Um, let's keep the Sabbath together.
0: I'm 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 impressed. Mm. Um you know, and you know, you look at okay, and this is the challenge when you look at the right wing and the left wing in the United States. Your left wing is very anti religious liberty. Your right wing tends to be very pro religious. Um, union of church and state. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe in union of church and state because it does away with religious liberty. And I don't believe, I don't go along with those who, uh, attack religious liberty either. And so it becomes a bit of a challenge, but it is nice to see people who have a very high profile and regularly, you know, pop up in, uh, YouTube feeds, Mm -hmm. Facebook feeds, whatever it might be, depending on what the algorithm is sending your direction. Uh, and it's nice to see them, you know, finding something in the Bible and saying, well, Okay, the Bible says that. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And to do it the biblical way. You know, the Bible says that the Sabbath is to be kept from sundown to sundown. And that's the beauty of the Sabbath because it gives you true rest. Mm. You know, if the Sabbath didn't begin at sundown, then you would uh, work until midnight because Mm. you want to get all that stuff done before Sabbath comes and be exhausted the next day. It Mm. begins at sundown so you can take an early night. Relax. Be fully ready for, you know, heading off to church the next day, which is absolutely fantastic.
1: You're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM, positively different.
0: Uh, we're about to have our interview of the day. Before we do, we have a 300-point question coming up for us. It's our like quiz.
1: drizzling outside. Yes. It's not even raining anymore. Oh, That's drizzling. insane. Mm-hmm. Good for us. All right, 300-point clue for the quiz. In the book of Revelation, what did John do with the little scroll given to him by the angel?
0: All right. Oh, wow. You know the answer to this one. It's... Something that you would not typically
1: do with a scroll. With a scroll, that's right. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call if you know the answer. For three hundred points, you can win yourself a pocket sermon. Uh, but again, that question was in the Book of Revelation. What did John do with the little scroll given to him by the angel? And guys, you can call in and like you can text in the answer. You don't have to claim the prize. Uh, you can be a part of our Bragging Rights crew and test yourself on these uh, on these questions. But yeah.
0: Well, joining us on the phone this morning to talk about Asian Aid and the work that they are doing in uh, in in India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh is Sue Burke. Sue, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Lyle. It's actually Nepal, Pakistan, um, Bangladesh.
0: Yes. That's okay, <laughs> and India. So. That's right. Of course, I got that wrong, didn't I? Um, <laughs> and, and of course, you guys come on the show once a month to talk about the work over there, and we just we just love what is taking place. Um, such a great charity that uh, you have operating there. Something specific that you wanted to talk about today, what is it?
2: Yeah, I'd really like to talk about um, women's health in Nepal. I don't think many people realise, but uh, in 2008, um, the Nepal declared a human rights issue in relation to women, which was a thing called ut- uterine prolapse, which basically is when the uterus detaches, and sorry boys, I know I'm going to be talking about women's stuff today, so bear with me.
0: On the breakfast Um, show. (laughs) (laughs) No, but this needs to be talked about.
2: Yeah, when the muscles detach, and basically the uterus falls out of a woman's body, and it's a very painful thing, and... In most countries, that tends to affect postmenopausal women. However, in Nepal, it's more commonly seen in younger women. And the UN approximates about 600,000 Nepali women suffer from ut- uterine prolapse. And the reason for that is early childhood marriage, unattended home deliveries, heavy work after childbirth. And also, women in Nepal culturally aren't allowed to talk about their own body and what's going on. So as part of our, we run two major programs in Nepal. The first one is obviously working with younger women and pregnant women about talking about, and their husbands, about talking about when it's safe for them to return to work and what they should be doing to care for their own bodies after childbirth. And also...
0: If, yes. you know, if I could just jump in there for a moment because the big question on my mind is when we you know, talk about uterine uh, prolapse and you know the uterine detaching and coming out of the body, um, is this something that can be fatal?
2: It's not fatal but it's painful and it's debilitating and it's also um, culturally if a woman gets bad uterine prolapse, or UP as we talk about it in the AIDS world, then what happens is that they become kind of a social pariah and often their husbands will leave them and they can't have any more children. So it's it's a real issue for women and it's not just... Sorry, mate.
0: Yeah, is the reason that the husbands leave is that because they can't have children anymore, or just because of the social stigma associated it's with both. It? It's both? Yeah, it's a hundred percent both. Mm.
2: And so, what we've been doing for the last seven years is working in remote Nepal and educating women, girls, and and obviously their husbands as well, about all of these. And that's a really important part of what we do. What we used to also do is work with the Shear Memorial Hospital, which is the Seventh-day Adventist Hospital in Nepal. And we used to send um, medical teams into remote areas and not just examine and treat patients, but also provide um, cervical screening, um cancer screening and with during COVID we planned always to re- bring that back but it's now back and we actually had our first camp this quarter and 620 women were seen and 500 underwent cervical cancer screening, 25, 25 of them tested positive for cancer that would never have been um, identified into the late stages, and forty were diagnosed with prolapse, and therefore, and twenty six referred for hysterectomy. All of those women have now been treated and can now pick up their children with a grin, not a grimace. And saving lives is a really important and part of what we do at Asian Aid. And that's just one example of how we work with the Seventh Day Adventist Hospital in Nepal to get really amazing outcomes to empower women, because as we know, a healthy mum makes a happy family. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. And just you talked about the pain that is involved with um, uterine prolapse. is this, is this ongoing pain? I mean, is this something that the, the woman is going to suffer with for a long period of time, or is it only you know, while that event is taking place? Because you talk about picking up your children with a grin rather than a grimace, and I'm just sort of thinking, yep. yeah. So it's this-
2: treatable, Lyle. Yes. That's the thing. Yes. So, so out of those women that were diagnosed, so those women that were diagnosed, the 40 of them, are now receiving the treatment they need so that they can live a pain-free life. Sometimes that's surgery, sometimes that's um, sort of a a laser treatment we use, but it's all fixable. So you can imagine there's 600,000 Nepali women that are living with pain and discomfort that don't need to be. So that's what we're doing in these remote villages and it's amazing to have this partnership with um our Seventh Day Adventist Hospital in Nepal as well
0: yeah that's that's absolutely fantastic and as far as the education process goes I mean is there an opportunity to talk to to talk to the men folk to the husbands and to explain what is happening yep. here and to educate them is it like this is not something where you necessarily you know you don't need to look down on your wife because this happened it's 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 a it's a It's a disease that takes place amongst humanity and, you know, you need to stay with your wife and love your wife and, you know, is there opportunity for education?
2: Yeah, 100%. We do that as well. And we actually have husband and wife through our other program. We have husband and wife that go into remote villages and talk about these issues. So the husband takes the men aside and the The wife takes the women aside and then they all meet together and have, you know, some really frank conversations and they also work with the village elders to remove this stigma around this very painful condition that, frankly, with really good, clear education shouldn't be happening and that's why it's really a human rights issue because by empowering the education around these, these women shouldn't be living in pain.
0: Yes, indeed. You mentioned that you're doing this work in Nepal. Uh, does the same culture exist in India and Bangladesh? I mean, these are, you know, sure. racially similar it's, people. I mean, there's just like a, an invisible line yeah, that separates these countries. Yeah.
2: It doesn't seem to – I mean, it's, it's an issue where women are considered the – The heavy lift, so it happens in Africa as well. So the women that do the hard that are considered the women that do the hard labour, they're the women that really get affected. So ironically, Nepal is almost circular around this because culturally, how women are treated um, in terms of they do primarily focus on on farming work, specifically in. You can imagine we're walking up and down those mountains in Nepal with huge weights on their back.
0: Does this mean that in that particular culture the men do less of the heavy lifting? Correct. Work or, right.
2: Yeah. So that's part of the education piece that we work with with our, with our um, husband and wife teams around being sharing the burden of... Farmwork,
0: like, for example. Now, this is obviously something that's been ingrained into the Nepalese culture for who knows how yep. many, how many yep. hundreds of thousands of generations or whatever it might be. Uh, how fast are you able to turn this around? Are you turning this at the speed of an iceberg, or does it, or, or or is it coming around fairly quickly? I, is it reaching expectations or exceeding expectations? How is it? How are you proceeding? With yeah,
2: that? I think where we visit
0: we have success. The problem is
2: we're only a little charity. And so the more support we get for this project, the more we can actually do.
0: Are there other charities operating in Nepal that have identified this same problem and that you are able to team up with to get to work out faster and spread further?
2: Yeah, so currently we have two partners in Nepal that we work with across this as well as the hospital. So the key really is to identify these remote villages and it's also access to those remote villages because we're not talking about we can drive a car to. So it's really about working with local government officials and the church and the union and identifying where there's a need and then working out how we can get there because it's not just a simple because you're literally trying to move a mini hospital through the mountains. So, yeah, so there are definitely other charities that do the similar work to us. And certainly, I know the the FDA Hospital in Wurrunga has a program, also with Shear, and they also do similar things. So it's about working collaboratively to ensure that we can... um, impact as many women as possible. So we work in collaboration with a whole bunch of government government, um, government organisations, with Shia, with partners, and also obviously because it's been declared a human rights issue, we work with other charities as well. But for what we do, we would really... Um, we would like to think we make a really sizable impact. For example, we have, for the first time, we have 359 women deliver their children in a birthing centre and not at home this quarter. So we're doing it in the hundreds, we're not doing it in the thousands, but we're doing it and we're making an impact.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just sort of listening to this conversation and, and questions going through my mind, you talk about moving a mini hospital through the mountains along you know, roads where you can't take motor vehicles. Um, That's right. So the guys drive these trucks, so to speak, or like these vans, as far
2: as they can take them, and then they carry stuff in.
0: Yeah, wow. I mean, the thing that goes through my mind is Nepal is obviously a hiking destination. Maybe there are people listening to the show this morning that are planning a hiking trip to Nepal and you could do a little bit of both. You could do some hiking through some amazing country and help carry some gear into, into one of these remote communities. Is there opportunity for that?
1: We're certainly
2: looking at that pre, post-COVID, how we can engage volunteerism to really make a meaningful impact in some of these countries and that's something that I'm working really closely with a specific travel partner on how we can ensure that we have all of the child and women protection piece as well as empowering people who want to be able to volunteer because protection of vulnerable people is really ingrained in what we do and it's important that we don't, release the masses into these really vulnerable communities that we make sure we curate that so that we're making the best possible outcome for them and also that people are getting a meaningful visit As well, So it's not just about, oh yeah, we'll come and help. It's not like that. These are very vulnerable communities. There's a whole heap of cultural things we need to go through and we're working through that. We hope to be announcing something around that next year and we'll be starting to do these amazing visits where people can feel like they're making really um, an impactful contribution and also seeing some beautiful places across the country.
0: Yeah, I'm just sort of thinking before COVID we had, you know, volunteer uh, tourism was definitely something that was on the rise where people would sort of combine two things together and, yeah. Yeah,
2: and that's something we will certainly be bringing back, Lyle, and we're looking at whether that's um, a specific group or a general visit, but we want to make it mission-focused as well. And that's really important to us because the key for us is to ensure that these people don't just flourish in their health and are happy but we give them opportunity to flourish in faith and also future prospects and that's really kind of our mission to ensure that we allow people to have amazing change in their life but also have access through our mission work to ensure that they get access to
0: learn about God as well. Sue Burke, thank you so much for joining us this morning from Asian Aid Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM